Welcome to Music History Monday for October 9th, 2023. I'm Bob Greenberg, and the title of today's podcast is The Parrot. If you haven't already, please consider joining me on my subscription site at patreon.com slash robertgreenbergmusic, where I blog, vlog, podcast, pontificate, review, and bloviate four to six times a week. We mark the birth on October 9th, 1835, 188 years ago today, of Charles Camille Sassons in Paris. He died in that magnificent city on Beethoven's 151st birthday on December 16, 1921, at the age of 86. The Nose Physically, the adult Camille Sassons was literally an odd bird. The music critic Pierre Lalot has left us with this description, quote, He was short and strangely resembled a parrot. The same sharply curved profile, a beak-like hooked nose with lively, restless, piercing eyes. He strutted like a bird and talked rapidly, precipitously, with a curiously affected lisp." Unquote. In fact, Sassons was as famous for his nose as Beethoven was for his hair. When he concertized in the United States during the 1906-1907 season, Philip Hale wrote in the Boston Symphony Program book, quote, His eyes are almost level with his nose. His eagle beak would have excited the admiration of Sir Charles Napier, who once exclaimed, Give me a man with plenty of nose, unquote. Now, please, heaven forbid, I should be accused of nasal shaming here. We should just know about Sasson's second most distinguishing feature before we move on. His principal distinguishing feature was his prodigious genius, a genius like that of Felix Mendelssohn, for pretty much anything in which he took an interest. The Prodigy like Felix Mendelssohn, Camille Saint-Saëns was an absurd child prodigy. He began playing the piano at the age of two. He completed his first composition for piano on March 22, 1839, when he was not quite three and a half years old. He made his public debut as a pianist at Paris's vaunted Salle Pleyel, in 1846, when he was still 10 years old. His program included piano concerti by both Mozart and Beethoven. For an encore, he invited the audience to choose any one of Beethoven's 32 piano sonatas, which he offered to play from memory. That's just stupid. When the 18-year-old Sasson's Symphony No. 1 received its premiere, the astonished and always quotable Hector Berlioz remarked, quote, He knows everything but lacks inexperience, unquote. Lacks inexperience. Think about it. A few years later, the redoubtable 
Franz Liszt, heard Sassons play the organ and publicly declared him to be the greatest organist in the world. Camille Sassons was not just crazy good at music, but displayed a prodigious talent for foreign languages, mathematics, astronomy, and philosophy as well. As an adult, he could hold his own in discussions with Europe's finest scientists, and he himself wrote scholarly articles on acoustics, the occult, Roman theater design, geology, archaeology, and ancient instruments. Yeah, apropos of Sasson's fascination with astronomy, here's something we should all know. In 1858, the 23-year-old Sassons saw his first music in print, a set of three pieces for harmonium published as his Opus One. He used his royalties to finance the construction of a telescope that he himself had designed. We trust he was happy with it. He was a high-strung, easily irritated man. According to those who knew him, his saving grace was his most Parisian, ironic sense of humor, what I would call a slice of rye. He was a world-famous teacher and was adored by his students, who included the formidable Gabriel Fauré, who would go on to become the teacher of Maurice Ravel and the director of the Paris Conservatoire. Camille Sassons was among the most popular composers of his time, particularly in England and the United States. He wrote a lot of music. Now, that's something of an understatement on the lines of McDonald's has sold a lot of cheeseburgers and Mike Tyson has hit a lot of people. Indeed, Sassons composed music in virtually every genre including 13 operas, that's as many as Richard Wagner, three numbered symphonies, four symphonic poems modeled on those of Franz Liszt, five piano concerti, three violin concerti, two cello concerti, and some 20 other works for soloist and orchestra, hundreds of solo piano works, chamber works, vocal works, both sacred and secular, you name it, he wrote it. Sassons was even the first established composer to write a film score for a French film entitled The Assassination of the Duke of Guise. Produced by Henri Lavedon in 1908, the film ran for what was considered then an extraordinary 17-plus minutes in length, a veritable epic for its time. The film, accompanied by Sassons' score, is linked. As we might expect of such a musical savant, Sassons composed with astonishing ease and speed. Mixing his metaphors, he claimed to compose, quote, as an apple tree produces apples, I live in music like a fish in water, unquote. According to the musicologist James Harding, writing in the New Grove Dictionary of Music and Musicians, quote, he could orchestrate happily for 12 hours at a time and keep up a lively conversation all the while, unquote. Sassons was nearly as prolific a writer as he was a composer. He wrote books, articles, 
prefaces, poetry, plays, and many thousands of letters. In particular, his writings on music are wonderful, lucid and pointed, and often abrasively sarcastic, on par with the musical writings of his friend and mentor, Hector Berlioz. Sassons and Franz Liszt Camille Sassons and Franz Liszt had an enduring friendship and a deep mutual regard for each other as musicians. Sassons was tireless in his promotion of Liszt's music after Liszt's death in 1886, at a time when Liszt's music had come to be considered fourth-rate, if it was considered at all. Wrote Sassons, quote, Those people who take an interest in my music may still remember a concert that was given a few years ago conducted by myself. The program was made up of orchestral works by Franz Liszt, a man routinely described as the great pianist, so that people can avoid recognizing that he is one of the great composers of our time. I should like to say a few words about Liszt's orchestra music. It is not long since orchestra music had only two forms at its disposal, the symphony and the overture. Haydn, Mozart, and Beethoven didn't write anything else. Who would dare depart from their example? Neither Weber, nor Mendelssohn, nor Schubert, nor Schumann dared to. Liszt dared. To dare in art is the most terrible thing in the world. In theory, nothing is simpler. Presumably, artists are free to do whatever they like. Who is to stop them? In practice, however, everything stops them, everybody and themselves. New forms inspire terror and repulsion. It's better for a composer to curl up inside routine. Liszt set out on the path that Beethoven and Berlioz had started upon and created the symphonic poem. In his 12 examples, he demonstrated what this genre can embrace through its animating principle, the principle of program music. This brilliant and influential creation will be his title to immortality." Unquote. For our information, a symphonic poem is an orchestra work that tells a literary story. Based on Liszt's model, Sassons composed three such symphonic poems, including one of his most famous and enduringly popular works, The Dance Macabre, The Dance of Death, of 1872. The Nature of Camille Sassons' Music I mentioned Sassons' three symphonic poems, of which The Dance Macabre is one, because that mention provides us with an excellent point of entry into the nature of his music. He was, like his contemporaries Johannes Brahms and Antonin Dvorak, something of a classical romantic. Sassons believed entirely in the classical era ideals of compositional order, clarity, and precision, which merged in his music with his elegant lyricism and a particularly French predilection 
for instrumental color or timbre. His penchant towards classicism notwithstanding, as his three symphonic poems based on the model of Franz Liszt reveal, Sassons was also powerfully influenced by the Romantic movement in general and the music of the arch-Romantic Franz Liszt in particular. As such, Sassons' music fuses classical clarity with a fully 19th-century Romantic-era expressive palette. Which brings us to an interesting question. Given his fully modern Romantic proclivities when it came to expressive content, why is Sassons so often referred to as being a musical dinosaur, or fossil, as he himself called the old fogies in his Carnival of the Animals? Why is he perceived today as an arch-conservative who spent the last decade of his life trashing modern music? Well, here's why. Sassons lived a long time, 86 years, from 1835 to 1921. He composed his first piece of music in 1838 at the age of three, just 11 years after the death of Beethoven. He was making music until the very end of his life, having practiced the piano a few hours before he died of pneumonia on December 16, 1921. 1921 was three years after the end of World War I, three years after the death of the revolutionary early 20th century composer Claude Debussy. 1921 was eight years after the premiere of Igor Stravinsky's The Rite of Spring, and just three years before the premiere of George Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue. Sasson's musical lifetime spanned from the age of Beethoven to the age of post-World War I modernism and jazz. Given such a span, it's understandable that Sassons, who began his musical life as a progressive, defending and proselytizing for the Romantic-era music of Berlioz, Schumann, Liszt, and Wagner, ended his life as a conservative, the enemy of all things modern. Though he respected Claude Debussy as a person, Sassons hated his music and detested, in particular, Debussy's groundbreaking opera, Peleus et Melisande. Quote, Peleus et Melisande, as he contemptuously pronounced it in his rasping lisp. Unquote. In attendance at the famed premiere slash riot of Igor Stravinsky's The Rite of Spring on May 29, 1913, Sassons kept repeating, apropos of Stravinsky's music, quote, He's mad! He's mad! Unquote, before gathering up his things and stalking out of the performance. Sassons would seem never to have heard any music by Arnold Schoenberg, but he did hear a performance of Richard Strauss's cutting-edge opera Salome of 1907 in Berlin. Sassons described the opera as, quote, a poem of hysterics, unquote, in which the orchestra, quote, quivers, sings, yelps, howls, goes mad, thunders, calms down, works itself into a passion, coughs, and sneezes. At one moment, 
it sounds like the slish slash of silk being torn, and another like the smashing of a pane of glass. While one group of instruments is wandering about in one key, another, without hesitation, moves about in a neighboring key, while the voices go off in another direction." Unquote. These and other such comments would seem to paint Saint-Saëns as a reactionary killjoy, something that in fact he was not. Rather, his rejection of early 20th century musical modernism was the act of a composer who lived long enough to see the avant-garde pass him by. So let us put aside the tiresome talk about Saint-Saëns being a compositional conservative. He only appears to be because he lived long enough to see his own cutting-edge musical language pushed aside and was still alive and alert enough to bitch and moan about it. But in his prime, for example, in 1886, when Saint-Saëns composed the great masterwork of his prime, his Symphony No. 3, he was an entirely contemporary, entirely cutting-edge composer. When we return, in tomorrow's Dr. Bob Prescribes post, it will be with Camille Saint-Saëns' justly famous and popular Symphony No. 3, his so-called organ symphony. Until then, thank you. To sample and download one or all of my many courses on subjects musical produced by The Great Courses slash The Teaching Company, please visit my website at robertgreenbergmusic.com.